Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, we're going to get into God's Word this morning, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians. We have completed two chapters so far, and we got a lot of chapters to go, but I hope it's been a blessing to you. I have personally been blessed in the teaching of it, and that's normally a good sign. If I'm being blessed, then hopefully the blessings are pouring out. (laughs) to you and God's encouraging you. I hope that's the case. What we've learned so far is that the Corinthians had some tremendous spiritual privileges. Obviously, they had uh, the gospel. When Paul went to Corinth and he began to preach Jesus and him crucified, they heard the gospel and they responded to that. And Paul has been uh, talking about the fact that the gospel, the cross, is the wisdom of God. And this, of course, is in contrast to the philosophy and the wisdom that the world provides, which uh, is uh, futile, it is temporary, it is fleeting, and that the natural man does not get the gospel. He can't, because what the gospel says rubs him the wrong way. It goes contrary to what naturally we think about the world and reality. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit does something, and that's basically what chapter 2 is about, that the Spirit reveals God's wisdom through the cross to us in a way that we can get it and we can understand it and we can we can believe it and that if the, if the spirit doesn't do that what we studied last week if the spirit doesn't do that the natural man cannot understand but with the spirit there is understanding and not just understanding but also a perspective we have a place to start in the way that we live our lives now with the cross and we can think God's thoughts about, about uh, life and reality. That's how he ends, but we have the mind of Christ at the end of chapter 2. Now, all along, we've been telling you this is the most messed up church ever. And I can't say ever because there's been a lot of churches that would fall in ever. But as far as like New Testament churches that we have God's perspective on them, this is like the most messed up one Uh, that you're going to find in scripture and you've been thinking to yourself well sure doesn't sound messed up yet i mean we've had a little bit of trouble but not so bad okay it's about to it's about to happen now okay the uh the the hammer is about to come down the apostle paul is about to take the gloves off how many metaphors can i work into one sentence (laughs) he's about to just smash them and it's kind of like i got thinking it's sort of like if you ever watch those video footage of the news choppers that are flying over some like california highway and you know that if the footage made it on the national news, this is going to be a really bad crash. And you're like just kind of waiting for it to smash into something. That's kind of what reading Corinthians is like. It's like a crash in slow motion because you just begin to take, you realize the depth of the problems. And we're just starting now in chapter three to unveil the real problems in this church. And there are many of them. So today we get into this and there's some imagery here that is not so pleasant, but it's God's word and we're just going to stick with that. Are you ready? Here we go. Chapter three, verse one, Paul writes, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. All right, stop right there. He kicks this off now. Chapter three. Notice how he begins. Before we get into the nasty stuff, notice how he begins. He says, but I, brothers. Now, I think that this is important because we see the heart of the apostle in uh, admonishing this church. He is not 
He is not uh, doing this out of hate. He is doing this out of love. Brothers is a term of endearment. You know, if, if, if you see somebody, you're like, hey, bro. I mean, that says that you like them. You know, you're like, we're sort of, I never say that. But if you were to say that, it would mean that. <laughs> I was talking with uh, uh, Dustin, our worship uh, leader, this week, his dad is a pastor in the South, and, and he was telling me that in the churches in the South, that they, they refer to each other like this way. You're not, you're not, I'm not Steve, I'm Brother Steve, or Sister Sue, or whatever. That's just the way that they do it down there. So I just thought, why don't we give that a try? Could we do that right now? Just like turn to the person next to you and, and say, good morning, Brother or good morning, sister. Go ahead and just kind of do that a moment. It feels good, doesn't it? Like all of a sudden you're like, hey. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe, maybe it's part of the southern hospitality. I don't know. But this was Corinthian as well, or, or this was Paul. My brothers. And of course he loves them. He, he spent a year and a half with them. He prays for them constantly. He loves these people. And that's important to realize through the rest of this letter because he's just going to be like, wham, wham, wham. He doesn't do it because he doesn't love them. He does it because he does love them like a father you know proverbs says that a a father who loves his son will discipline his son if he doesn't discipline his son he hates him you know and so paul here now coming like a father to this church says i love you and now i'm going to say what i need to say so let's get into that what is he what is he going to say but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in christ I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now Paul, for chapter and a half has been describing the spiritual privileges that these Corinthians had. They had the gospel. They had the cross, the wisdom of the cross. They have the spirit who is there helping them understand and who's done this wonderful work in their heart. They have the mind of Christ. He ends with chapter two on. The problem in Corinth was not the privileges that they had. The problem in Corinth was that they were not living like they should. They were not displaying in their life and in their church family the reality, the the wisdom of Christ in the Spirit. That was just not happening. In fact, in chapter 1, we've already seen that there was quarreling, he says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, verse 11, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. They're fighting amongst themselves. And he's going to go on in this letter to sketch their issues with sexual sin, members in the church suing one another, confusion about spiritual gifts, denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and other problems. 
So all kinds of problems. And basically, he's going to say this. Listen, Corinthians, you have the Spirit, but you're not living like it. You have these privileges, but you're not living like it. What is your problem? That's what he says. Now, right away, Paul uh, inserts a metaphor. And this is a very helpful metaphor for us to understand what he's trying to say. And it's a an illustration that all of us can relate to. And not just us, but whatever church today, think of how many churches are preaching from 1 Corinthians 3 around the world today. There's probably many of them. It doesn't matter if they're in America. It doesn't matter if they're in in, uh, South America, if they're in Peru today, if they are in uh, Afghanistan. Everybody can relate to the illustration that Paul gives. You want to know why? Because it's about babies talk about babies just for a moment babies around the world pretty much act like babies don't they common human thread that we have everybody understands that babies act like babies i heard one description of a baby as a digestion canal with a loud voice on one end and no responsibility at the other And the the parents of infants right now are going, amen, to that. When a baby fusses, we understand that this is what babies do. You fussed when you were a baby. I fussed when I was a baby. We don't get mad at them. It's a baby. It's, oh, the baby's fussy, right? That's what we do. When a baby needs to be fed milk... We understand that. And that baby may get milk from her mother or from a bottle. uh, But you feed babies milk. You will not feed your baby the Thanksgiving meal in two weeks, will you? You will regret that if you try it. Doesn't work. Babies need milk. Babies also have major interpersonal challenges, don't they? they? They bite each other. They hit each other. Babies in the church nursery are rarely displaying love and compassion for the other uh, babies that are there. They really don't care. You'll never hear a baby in our nursery go, change her first, really, it's okay. You know, it's just, <laughs> they don't do that. And finally, this is the, uh, the, the crux of it, is that babies are selfish. Babies are selfish. When their needs are not met, you're going to hear about it, right? The world for the baby revolves around himself or herself and so when they don't get their way they scream and they yell and it doesn't matter what time of the night that they that they do this i heard actually i heard john mccaney was asked this he was asked this week about how he was sleeping he says i'm sleeping like a baby every two hours i get up and cry (laughs) so all we could say is that it's a good thing that god made babies adorable right or they would like never make it We love these children, but we recognize that they are babies, and there are certain things that go along in behavior with being a baby. And Paul now grabs this common understanding, and he applies it now to the church at Corinth. And there are characteristics that they are displaying that are childlike. The first one is just their chronic spiritual immaturity. He says, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
Now, we've seen the word spiritual people before. We saw it in verse 15. And a spiritual person is, you could look at it this way, a Christian like they ought to be. A Christian like they ought to be. In other words, growing, maturing, what we call progressive sanctification, where there is, a, there is an increasing likeness in the life of the Christian to the attitudes and the actions of Jesus. We are being made conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8 tells us. And so this is what healthy Christianity looks like. But there is a lot of unhealthy Christianity around in Corinth and here. We're dealing with a few situations pastoral right now that I would, I look at that and I just, what I see is I, and I'm not the judge, but it seems to me that we have people that don't understand that healthy Christianity means growing. And oftentimes people have some, they grow up in the church or whatever, and they have some kind of a religious experience that they maybe look at as salvation or something in their past. But then years go by and there doesn't seem to be any appropriating of that gospel in their life. And you talk to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm good with God. I got this whole thing going. Wait a second. What are you saying? There is no evidence that you are a follower of Jesus, and there hasn't been for years. You don't get it. Healthy Christians grow and mature. And the kind of faith that saves, listen, everybody, the kind of faith that saves. In other words, when the Spirit regenerates us in the miracle, that miracle of of new birth, and we are alive spiritually for the very first time, that transformation is so radical that it becomes, over time, an all-encompassing belief. It just, it it dominates my life now. Everything, I use the quote from C.S. Lewis all the time, but I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not just because I buy it, not just because I see it, but by it I see everything else. I am, I am a follower of Christ, and this shapes and directs everything in my life. That's Christianity. That's saving faith. So if you were converted to something different than that, I can tell you that you were converted to something, but it wasn't real Christianity. Because once we are saved, we are always changed. Always. Now, that said, this does not happen all at once. So it's not like if somebody suddenly becomes a Christian, you know, here they are now, super Christian, flying around, doing, jumping over spiritual buildings and flying faster than the speed of a bullet or whatever. I forget that. Anyway, uh, it doesn't happen all at once. And Paul acknowledges that here because he says, when I was with you, you were all new Christians. When Paul got there, it's not like, you know, First Corinthian church was already established and he just kind of came along to pastor it. There was no church. There was no gospel witness. He comes, preaches the gospel. They become new Christians. They were infant baby Christians. And that's the way that it always is. He says this, I could not talk to you as spiritually mature, but as spiritually immature. People of the flesh. I'd like to talk with you about this briefly, about the flesh. This is an important New Testament concept. Uh, you've maybe heard, I think Martin Luther said that the three enemies of the Christian are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Perhaps you've heard that. If you've not, it's a good three to remember. This week, who am I going to fight against? I'm going to fight against a worldly mentality that is out there. I'm going to fight against uh, my flesh, which we're going to talk about, and I'm going to fight against the influence of Satan. The flesh is 
described as unredeemed humanity or the values and the mindset of the world. It is that part within us that even after salvation continues to war against what God is trying to do in my life. And if you don't realize, Christian, that you have it, then, like, I don't get it. (laughs) Because... This, to me, is one, this, like, one of the great challenges of living the Christian life is that a lot of the time, I don't want to. And the things of the world seem really tantalizing and desirable. And the reason that they do is that I still have the flesh within me. I still have indwelling sin. I still have the sin nature, which does not want what God wants in my life. It wants to destroy God's good work in me. And we struggle against this. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. Our flesh has passions. Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the way that this works is, is that when I become a Christian, the Spirit comes, regenerates me, makes me alive for the first time. I am a new creation, as Galatians 5.17 says. However, I still have this inclination towards sin that I'm going to struggle against for the rest of my life. And what was going on in Corinth is this, that when they became, a, when they became Christians, he still addressed them as people of the flesh because they were baby Christians. And the habits of sin and the mentality had not yet grown to the place where they were living like people of the spirit and so he talked to them like people of the flesh and if there was ever a city to struggle with overcoming the flesh it would have been uh corinth we've talked about imagine a city completely dedicated to the worship of sex that was corinth you want to talk about a hard place to be a christian it would have been in corinth i mean you could rename the corinthians the flesherinthians That's what they lived for. They lived for the passions of the flesh. So it is normal for a new Christian to still have old habits of sin that have not yet been come under the lordship of Christ, been uh, overcome, bondages and whatnot. I've told you the story before of, of a friend of mine who became a Christian, and he was a chronic pot smoker before he became a Christian. And then he became a Christian. And he was reading his Bible over time and studying, and and he tells the story that there I was, and I was reading the Bible, and I was smoking pot. And all of a sudden, it dawned on him. And he never smoked it again. And he pastors a church outside Des Moines, Iowa. So beware pot smokers. God might call you into the ministry, all right? In fact, I think he oftentimes does. So we recognize, we look at that story and think, isn't that great? Look at how, look at how Christ is conforming him to God's will and changing him and removing these habits of sin. So that's not the issue here. But when somebody has been a Christian for quite a while and they are still living like a brand new Christian, This is a serious problem. And that is what was going on in in, in the church at Corinth. These people, they were not new Christians anymore. They had been Christians for some time. 
but they had not spiritually grown up. And Paul says, you are basically one giant spiritual nursery. You're all babies. You're all infants. Infants in Christ, he says. And that Greek word there for infants, it's not the word for like cute little baby. It's more like crybabies. It's a little pejorative. You're all a bunch of crybabies. And you, as you know, if, if you were... If you're a guy, you know, the, the last thing you wanted to hear on, at recess at school was your fourth grade friends going, you're a crybaby. I am not crybaby. No. Why? Because we want to, a, a fourth grade boy wants to be viewed not as a baby, but as a young man. And healthy Christians don't want to be babies. They want to be mature. They want to grow. But not at Corinth. Not at Corinth. Here's what growing up means. Growing up means growing by the Spirit into a direction of life that increasingly reflects the life and the attitudes of Christ. Christian, this is what, this is the path that you are on. This is the path that you are supposed to be on. Growing into the likeness of Christ. But at Corinth, they were chronically immature. They just, they didn't grow. They didn't go anywhere. They just stayed with all that Corinthian habit of thinking and the values of the city of Corinth they were dragging into the church they were living like Corinthians inside the church chronically immature by the way this has nothing to do with age nothing to do with age spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age there are some young people that are far more spiritually mature than many Christians who apparently have been Uh, Christians for a very long time the young people sometimes have a greater passion for the Lord than somebody who's been a Christian for a long time a greater consecration and seriousness about about sin and righteousness than people who've been Christians for a very long time this has nothing to do with age if you're older right now don't sit and say well they're not talking about me I'm no infant no that's not what he's saying in fact I'd like to uh for you to imagine today Imagine that you could visit a church and that you were given a special set of glasses. And with these glasses, you're able to see people not for how mature they are chronologically, but how mature they are spiritually. Okay, so you go walking into the church and you put the glasses on and you begin to look around. And you see there goes Mr. Jones, longtime member of the church in a diaper. Whoa. There goes, there goes uh, Mrs. Smith, your fourth grade Sunday school teacher, sucking on a bottle. You look over to the side and there's a few members of the church biting each other in the foyer. You look towards the church office and there's a tug of war going on between two people trying to figure out who's in charge. Someone walks by and you just smell something. And everywhere you look, there are adults having little hissy fits, little pity parties, living selfishly and for themselves. And if that sounds like a church that you've been in, you maybe have been to First Corinthian Church. Because that's the way that it was. Everywhere you looked, there were people spiritually immature and living that out. And the rest of the book is basically uh, Paul admonishing them about all the immaturity spiritually that that is on display the they were adults chronologically but they were children 
spiritually? And of course, we want to begin asking ourselves the question, well, what about us here today? What about you here today? If you had that set of glasses and could look in the mirror, what would you see about yourself spiritually? Now, a big part of the problem is the second characteristic of Corinthian Christianity, and that is that they were stunted in their growth and understanding. This is what he says in verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Okay, we all understand that. You don't, when you have a child, you don't look at the child and say, eat steak. No, it's a child, right? Okay, milk, this is, we're at a milk stage here with a child. It's totally fine. We understand it. But this is what Paul says. And even now, you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. Now this is a little bit of a disturbing imagery and I shall walk carefully here. But does it seem weird to us at all for a child to want to drink milk? Either from a bottle or from her mother. Not at all. Totally fine with that. But if, if, a, if a supposedly mature Christian, somebody who's been a Christian a long time, is still wanting milk... From bottle or mom. This is a problem, isn't it? You would say there is a serious issue going on with this child. And that's what Paul is saying. When I was there, I fed you milk. You were new Christians. That was fine. But then he says, and even now, you are not ready for it. And by the way, milk here is an analogy for teaching that corresponds to a new Christian's ability to understand. That's milk. It is, a, it is a level of teaching, theology, and doctrine, and Christian practice that corresponds then to a child. Milk. Meat then would be something that is for more mature, a deeper level of understanding, a deeper truth, a deeper teaching. For example, I've got two books up here, and both of these are by... Uh, same author, a favorite author of mine, John Stott. I have here Basic Christianity and The Cross of Christ. Fairly thick book there, okay? Now, guess what one we give to new Christians here? Basic Christianity or The Cross of Christ? I would say probably Basic Christianity. Okay, we understand that. And you know what's in this book? There are chapters about God and Jesus and, you know, his, his deity and his humanity, kind of a basic level of teaching, how to study the Bible, how to pray, how to basically live the Christian life, okay? This is a wonderful milk book. It's a wonderful book for new Christians, and we've used it for a long time here. No problem. This is a book that would be a challenging read for most of us about the atonement, and what that was all about in Christ's death and the nature of the cross. And it is a, uh, it's a pretty challenging read. This would be milk. This would be, this would be meat. Milk is great for a baby Christian. But the goal is to ground the new Christian in the basics so they can move on to the more significant things. That's the goal. That's the way it's supposed to work. What would you think about somebody who'd been a Christian for a very long time, and they're like, I just want to keep rereading basic Christianity. Oh, don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. I just want more of this right here. What would we say about it? Okay, there's something wrong. You're on the bottle. 
get off the bottle. Get on to something more substantive. Grow, in other words. You might say to a child, if you go into the nursery right now, you could say to the kids, you know, they're eating those mashed peas and like mashed carrots. You know, I'd love to say to those kids, just wait, there's really good stuff coming, (laughs) right? Say this with me, porterhouse, okay? Just remember that I told you that. It is so much better than what you are eating right now. And they're going to get there, and they'll get to enjoy strawberry pie and, and uh, noodles and beef and, and uh, porterhouse steak and sweet potato with marshmallow and brown sugar on top. Did I say strawberry pie? Strawberry pie again, or any other fruit for that matter, in a pie with light flaky things with sugar on top. Yummy. It's good stuff. Boy, are you missing out when you just stick with that milk stuff? There is good stuff ahead. And here's the issue, friends. Listen, the issue is not so much the level of teaching because the church at Corinth had wonderful teachers, Paul, Apollos, and others. They had wonderful teachers. The problem was not the teaching. The problem was the people's level of understanding and their blunted growth in their knowledge and then appropriation of that in their life. And Hebrews says basically the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 5, when it says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you take a child and you constantly feed them milk, they will stay on the milk. What do you have to do with the child? You have to wean them off of the milk so they can begin to take in what they are as an adult going to need. Spiritually, the same thing is true. God's people need meat understanding of truth that is deeper than the basic level. And if that doesn't happen, it entrenches the people in a kind of immaturity. It keeps the church in the nursery. And lo and behold, when people are in the nursery, they act like children. And that is what happened at Corinth. Do you see what I'm saying then? God's people need an appetite for increasing levels of understanding of God's truth. And if there is no appetite for that, just like in a child who doesn't want anything more, there is a problem. And this is the tragedy, I think, in the American modern church, and this is not all churches or anything like that, but today there are huge movements of churches that basically are professionally keeping their churches on the level of milk because they don't want to give any real doctrine on a Sunday morning and teaching because it might turn people away. Well, the new Christians, they they can't handle that or unbelievers may not like that. And so the church then remains on a milk level of understanding. Keeps them in the nursery. I remember I was going to minister years ago. I was going to minister at this church and I was a little nervous about it and my mentor said to me, 
And by the way, this was a church that had a bit of a reputation for superficiality in their kind of a superficial sort of church. And uh, my mentor said to me, he says, don't worry, Steve, they'll think you're Spurgeon. Did you get that? Okay. <laughs> Last night, loved that one. Um, they'll think you're Spurgeon, which was no compliment to my sermon. It was simply an acknowledgement of the kind of teaching that that church was used to. So again, let's ask the question, where are you at? How's your appetite? How interested are you in growing in your understanding of God's word and learning about who God is and learning about all that he has done and learning how to live the Christian life not as a child but as an adult? How interested are you in growing up? Might I even ask this question, what's going on in your heart right now? This would be a great, this would be a great indication. What is going on right now? Not that this is the greatest sermon that you've ever heard in your life, but God's word is being opened and it's being explained. Are you interested? Are you, are you like thinking, this is great, I want to learn more, help me understand? I've told you before, I would love to see our people more with like notes out and taking notes and studying and thinking about things. Why? Because we have an appetite for that. And we want to learn and we want to grow. And it is exciting I see so many signs of that in our church and Bible studies are going on and and people that are interested in learning and growing. It's wonderful. But how are we doing across the board? How are you in this? How interested, how desirable are you to, to grow? Paul really is not taking any issue with a new Christian. If you are a new Christian here, enjoy the milk. Okay, enjoy the milk. What he is speaking to is diaper-wearing, milk-loving, content to stay in the nursery Christians. That's who he's talking about. And frankly, I have run into a lot of those in my days. They are older, maybe. They've been Christians maybe a long time. But spiritually, they are children. How about you? So, we need to cultivate this in our, in, our, in our congregation, a desire and an appetite for truth and a, and a desire to grow in our understanding. The weekend sermon is a great place to start, prioritizing this, wanting to, wanting to be a part of it, coming anxious to hear God's word, wanting to grow, wanting to learn. That's a big part of it. There are other things, though. There are, we have classes that we offer here in our church. We've encouraged you to take those. Why would you take a class? The same reason people by the, I don't know how many thousands or whatever, they're going to universities and doing continuing ed and growing. Why do they do that? Because they want to learn and they want to grow. How much more in the church when we have the truth of God, which we will never completely understand, should we be interested in learning more about God and his word? You with me? So take a class. We got classes on doctrine. We got classes on Christian parenting. We got classes on finances and money. We got classes on all kinds of things. Take a couple classes a year. Grow. Learn. You'll be glad that you did. How about, uh, how about books? We're going to get to heaven, I think, and realize that we live in such a privileged time to access truth. You realize that you have more books, you have more Christian truth in your library, and I don't care about how small that is, than Christians did for like 1,800 years. If you have a Bible, for goodness sakes, you're way ahead of most of the Christians that are going to be in heaven. 
<laughs> but here today we've got teachers and writings and Bible studies and study Bibles and all these things that, that we're going to get to heaven and people are gonna, other people from the past are going to be like, oh, you lived, in, you lived in 2008? What was that like having all of that truth? I don't know. I didn't really read much of it. What? You, you stupid? Yeah. So, read good Christian literature. We've got our bookstore here. I mean, we would like it to be bigger and better and all of that, but there's great stuff there. Get online. You know, right now, you can go home today, and you can download or podcast the greatest preaching to be heard in the English language around the world. Uh, Christians haven't been able to do that. You can do it at home today. Do it. Listen, learn, grow. Our small group ministry is a part of this. How good it is to get with other people and to talk about, which is kind of process truth. And I threw this analogy out last night, and last night liked it and sort of encouraged me to use it again today, so by their command, I will. Um, I, I got to this point, and I got, it just came to me that I remember last Saturday, Amelia's, which is the gro- grocery store by where I live, they had a big taste testing day. And I was working out, and then I, remember, I was starving, and I remember that they were having it, so I went over there. I went in famished. I went out stuffed. It was, it was great. I mean, they had tons of food everywhere. And you know what I found? We're standing around. There's all these other people that are like me and there. And uh, I mean, we're standing around. We're like, mm, mm, have you tried that? Mm. The texture on that. Wow. That is really great. Have you been to the one over there? It's really wonderful. And like there was a, a ribs, ribs uh, this thing there, you know, and I'm like. <laughs> and everywhere I went, I was like, you've got to go have those barbecue ribs. They were awesome. To me, that's what our small groups are like. We get together and we, we, we enjoy truth together and we talk about it. And we, this is how it, this is what I think, and this is how it, it's, it's ministering to me, and we process it in community. This is a great way to learn and to grow. And so this is why, again, I just, our three E's, exalt, experience, engage, this is, this is the path to grow. And I just, I, brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, again, that if you are not accessing these things, and a part of that, that you're not going to grow. You are going to remain chronically immature in your understanding and lack the depth that God would have in you and the ability to appropriate truth in your life. And so I love you, and I'm saying this for your good. And healthy people will want to grow and will take advantage of it. All right, finally, and we're not going to, we don't have time to get into all of this, but the third thing that we find here is that the greatest. The greatest statement on where we are spiritually is interpersonal relationships. And this is a huge problem at the church at Corinth. We're just going to touch on it here, but look at verse 3. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And of course, this was introduced in chapter 1. We read that already, where there was quarreling that was going on. But now we find out what the quarreling is. Here was the quarreling. They were not arguing about the color of the carpet. They were not arguing about where the hat rack ought to go in the church foyer. They were arguing about leadership. 
And there was a misunderstanding of the role of leaders and teachers in the church. The people were actually lining up in their allegiances behind men in the church. Some are following Apollos. Some are following Paul. Some are following Peter. And saying that they're followers of them. They were putting them on pedestals. It's always a dangerous thing when you put men or women on a pedestal. But that was going on. And they were saying, I'm a follower of him. You know, in today's leadership, this would be admired. We just got done with an election time where uh, politicians tried to get as many people as they could to line up behind them. And so people, you drive around the community, two weeks ago you would see people with uh, signs in front of their houses. I'm a follower of this person. And people had little stickers that they were wearing or buttons. I'm a follower of this person or, or bumper stickers or whatever. People were lining up behind men and women, their leaders. I'm putting my hope in them. And whoever does that the best is the winner and is admired and gets schools named after them. That's the way that it works in the world. But spiritual leadership is fundamentally different than that. A spiritual leader is trying not to get people to line up behind him. The role of the spiritual leader is to get people to line up their allegiances and their hearts and their desires and their futures behind the person of Christ. Okay, we're putting him on the pedestal. Don't line up behind me. What you, get, get, get away. Don't get, line up behind him. That's spiritual leadership. That's the way that it's supposed to work. And the problem at Corinth was so bad that there was actually the equivalent of like gangs in the church. There was rivalry between the groups. I imagine them having little hand signals, you know. The, they go to church and like, oh. You can come with us. There was jealousy towards one another. There were power struggles. There was division. And Paul's going to get into the rebuke next week. But here's the thing I want us to realize today. Is that in a way, we don't need to have special eyeglasses to know where people are spiritually. And you don't need special eyeglasses to know where you are spiritually. The way that we can know where we are in our maturity is to look at the way that we treat people. And the way that we relate to people. And the relationships in our life, if those are marked by jealousy and rivalry and power struggles and division, then we are acting like the children in our nursery are acting right now. Biting each other, hitting each other, wanting the toy for themselves. That is immaturity. An immature Christian will be prickly, will be fussy, will refuse to share, and will be easily upset. Now listen, but as a new Christian moves from a milk understanding of the gospel to a mature understanding, a meat maturity, the truth of God's unmerited favor towards me grows in my understanding and works its way into my heart. The infinite gap between me and a holy God and my unworthiness of one ounce of blessing from God works its way into my understanding and I realize that I am not, I am not a good person that God was wise enough to save that I am a sinner and there is no good thing in me and yet God has loved me and that sense of oh, the wonder and the glory of salvation becomes a part of my awareness and my understanding of life. 
And then I come to realize the unspeakable love of God to extend towards me while I was still an enemy of God. That He loved me anyway and that that love actually is an eternal love. Past, present, and future. That God loves me because He is love. Works its way into my understanding about the way that reality is. And then the glory of Christ and His cross. And the wonder and the beauty of Him dying there. A tragic and a painful and a horrific death. Dying there in my place. The Son of God, dead for me, works its way into a kind of wonder in my heart that God would do this and that Christ would humble himself to that point. And then to recognize that faith is a gift and that God has given this to me because of his desire or his decision to place his love upon me. And that this now produces a gift of eternal life. That I will live forever in glory. Works its way into my perspective on life and the future. It gives me hope. And I mature and I grow in my understanding of these things. And there is no way that you can do that and not let it translate into some kindness. And some grace. And some love. And some tenderness towards the people in my life. So the first John will say, if you claim to love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. Because to know God is to know love. And that love changes us. And that is why I believe that a church of maturing and growing Christians is the best place on earth. Where else in this crazy world are you going to find unity amongst people? Where else are you going to find peace amongst people? Where else are you going to find agape love imperfectly, but trying to be displayed in the relationships in the church? Where else are you going to find that? Nowhere but the church. Right here. This is the, this is, this is the context of the display of the gospel of Christ. And when... Christians are maturing and growing in that. It is a wonderful place to be. And I, for one, am glad to be in this one. So, there is much more to say about this, and it's going to be a little bit ugly to come. But I hope that you see the point today. That the gospel changes us, creates an appetite and a desire to grow which comes by truth that we increasingly understand and appropriate in life, which has a huge impact in the way that I treat people in the church and the way that I treat my spouse and the way that I treat my family members and the way that I treat my coworkers and the way that I treat my neighbors, that now I am living this out on the horizontal level, which displays growth in my life. And all the while, I line myself up not behind a man or a teacher or a leader, but behind Christ who is solidly on the pedestal and is on the throne of my heart and is on the throne of heaven and we give him glory. That is the Christian life. More on that next week. I'm going to ask that you stand right now and we're going to conclude in a 
slightly different manner today. 